Hello and welcome back to Happy Porch Radio. This is season seven, very first episode, and we are here today talking with Fabrice Sorin from Circulab. He's the Academy Manager at Circulab. Circulab offers circular economy consulting and a whole bunch of training to design regenerative business models. Barry, it's good to be back. It is really exciting. That was the first thing I was going to say. It's so exciting to be back doing a new season and having this level of conversation is pretty cool too. Yeah, I mean, we said we wanted to zoom out this season and look at the circular economy big picture, look at it from above. And wow, we really dived into that (laughs) first episode of the season. And I think we've zoomed well out. We may be in space now looking back at Earth, wondering about the circular economy. (laughs) It's so important as well. Like I thought Fred Reese was really um, clearly very eloquent in describing that big picture and and the importance of systemic thinking. And the way he talked about circularity, I guess the risk of us viewing circularity as a patch or a quick fix within a linear economy and how that's just totally not viable. But in order for a circular economy to be viable and for that kind of mindset and and approach to be viable, we need to think much more systemically and much more uh, sort of embrace the complexity and that how how the work that they're doing really multiplies that. That's the other thing I'm really excited about this season is speaking to people who are kind of working at that macro level, so doing consultancy or advising or training and sort of multiplying or being that one step or two steps back from the call phase. It's just really cool and I thought this conversation was pretty powerful. Yeah, it's really encouraging to hear about people who are pushing back against that idea of of quick fixes and, and sort of simplifications of ideas that could lead towards greenwashing or just ineffective um, progress, you know, but also that aren't getting overwhelmed by then the complexity of what we're actually facing. Because <laughs> I think that that can be a real, it, like, it's really hard sometimes. I'm overwhelmed by it. So it's really encouraging to hear, you know, the way that Fabrice talked about it and, and just embracing that complexity, I think. Definitely. And the action focus side, as you said, it's very daunting to when, when you look at things like, and, and Fabrice mentions the IPCC report, but also the recently released Circularity Gap report and all of this data and the evidence that's pointing at huge challenges, which can be overwhelming and confusing and scary and even and then wondering if the solutions are scary. But actually then the work that he's doing and that Circulab are doing kind of allows us to talk about solutions and not just solutions that are you know, taking things away, but solutions that offer positive, more very interesting and actionable, not easy, but actionable paths um, to regenerative business, to circularity, and to all the, the things that we're trying to do. And keeping it accessible to as many people as possible, you know, opening those doors to, as you say, amplify the effect of this by letting many people come and, and get the benefits of the training and consulting that they offer. There is something as well that... Um, we touch on the very end that I think is really important. I approach this these conversations from the context of being software engineering, software, having, running a software engineering de- and development, a digital product development team. And so I think it's equally important from whatever context, but it's equally important to think about that sustainability, sorry, that system level thinking from the context of where we come. And that's why this conversation is so powerful. It's not a separate conversation. It's a powerful conversation about where each of us fits in each of the industries and places and companies that we work in, where that fits. So, without any further ado, let's meet Fabrice. Well, my name is Fabrice. I'm a French national. 
I work at Circulab and I'm in charge of education, training and research. So quick word about Circulab. We are design, studio and strategy agency. We operate in the field of circular economy for more than 10 years now. And we have three key activities which are heavily correlated one another. We provide training, design and consulting services to public and private actors in France. We're based out of France and globally. Brilliant. Thank you so much for coming and joining us on Happy Porch Radio. You're welcome. I'm really interested in the three different aspects of Circulab there as you're describing and how they complement each other and the fact that you do all three rather than focusing on one or the other and, and how that works. But just before we talk about that, from your own point of view, what's a quick summary of your life path that's taken to the point of doing this kind of work and education in the circular economy? So for me, I've been, I did my career pivot, as the, the cliche said. I worked for quite a while in large corporation in the service industry, tourism and transport. You can say that I had a, not an epiphany, but I became aware of the non-viability of economic models and to a larger extent of all lifestyle, especially Western lifestyle. The higher you go into the strata of management in large corporation, for me, at least I can only speak for myself, the more evident it appears that that was not the right way to go. So back in 2015, 16, I've decided to switch, progressively switch career and upscale and I've went back to studying. So I went back to, uh, to university and I've embarked on a circular economy MBA at Bradford University. And then I, over the years, I pivoted to advisory services as an independent and then I joined Circular about two years ago. Quick, quick story, I knew Circular from when I first started to really seriously look and, and get trained on circular economy because back in the days there were that small agency that was already providing free access design tools to really act and deploy and make it operational the notion of, of circular economy and how you transform business models towards circular business model. So I knew them from before and then it just happened that the founder and CEO is based in my hometown. So when I went back to my hometown, it, I guess it was fate of some sort. And <laughs> I joined them. Brilliant. That's a nice, pretty amazing coincidence alignment of the stars to make it come together. It also sounds like that's quite a brave thing to do, you know, to making a big career direction change, stepping back and going and studying and things. Did you find that? I mean, obviously, you, that you, you described the motivation there, but did you find the process difficult? Was it challenging? Would you do the same thing again? Or would you advise somebody else listening who's thinking the same things to follow a, the same or a different path? A, I'll do the same thing again, sure. Two, yes, it's difficult because... I mean, it's when you work and then you study at the same time. And I'm not the only one, but of course, but that's not an easy thing to do. And yes, it's challenging. There's only so much information you can take in into your brain if you combine that with what you have to do at work in full-time employment. And when you have a fairly mid to high-ranking position in a company with the pressure that goes with it, and on top of that, you have the, the commitment to your study, then yes, that's difficult. And the, the third, the last point is, I'll advise anybody that wants to pivot or to upscale to do it. As long as the motivation is there, there's no reason why not. I mean, it's, it's, that's the beauty in a way of the world we're living in is that education is much more accessible in terms of formats now. I mean, distance learning and hybrid learning and thanks to technology. In 2022, it's much more fluid and the learner experience is much, much better now than it was few years back. I mean, in 2016, e-learning platform were in their kind of infancy, if you want. Now it's, you have a much, much 
you know, wider and more attractive and user-friendly offer out there. So to that extent, I think it's slightly easier to, to have this distance learning or hybrid learning experience now that it was a few years back. So as long as the motivation is there, I would advise to go for it. But it has to have the motivation because that's, that's not easy, especially if you combine it with full-time work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it feels like there's a bit of a more and more, like the motivation is there from or becoming more concrete for more and more people as we start to realize exactly the opportunities and the problems and the scale of the thing, the transition that we're looking at circular economy, the scale of the potential of the transition. I try to use the term potential rather than just talking about problems and challenges and try and think about, okay, well, there's an, there is a path to some positive change here. Yeah, I mean, we do see this as well in the, the audience that we train. On a side note, I had this very interesting conversation with a good friend of mine that's fairly high-ranking in the tech department of a large bank, European bank. And they have this dissemination and uh, acculturation about the challenges through climate fresk. Okay? So they deploy a lot of those fresk to all the employees, actually. And what she mentioned to me, she says, that's becoming a problem for the management. For the simple reason that you have a certain percentage of the fairly mid-ranking employee, so business unit managers, if you want, that once they started to put their fingers in it, if I use that expression, they question what they're doing in the bank. And that becomes an issue because when you reach a certain threshold, it's becoming a worry from the HR and, and higher level of the bank. Because if you know your mid-ranking officer or executive do not believe in what it is you're doing, question the core purpose of what you're doing because they have been made aware of the challenges, and especially for a bank, if you're aware of the impact of the finance sector on the climate crisis, a percentage, what she mentions that a percentage of the employees just not quit, but they start to have a different view on it. Some of them quit and some of them decide to do something else, launch their own activity or completely pivot. And I think that's something that's, it's an interesting trend. It might be going under the radar, but it would be normal. People are clever. If you train them, if you give them the information, and the fresk are really efficient for that, for that very first layer. If you give them the information, it's only logical that a certain percentage, which can be quite noticeable after a while, would actually question what they're doing in the structure that employed them. So it's moving. It's from all view and the feedback we have is that it's moving even in large groups being bank or or manufacturing or large industries but it's moving way too slowly in regards to the urgency of the situation yes that makes complete sense just for listeners climate fresk there uh, that you mentioned we'll link to that in the show notes for those that haven't heard of it it's a really interesting as you say that sort of quite powerful introductory educational piece about what climate and the whole conversation around that. So we'll include some notes in the show notes for people interested in finding more about that. That's a really powerful story of that level of education sort of driving change. As you say, it's maybe not happening with the urgency we want, but there is positive signs there. As you said, people are smart. When they get information, we can potentially get involved in change. I don't have much sympathy with the big corporates who are then forced to maybe change at a faster rate than, than they want to, but that's not an easy process. I acknowledge that. But just to then sort of segue a little bit in the conversation to the work that you do at Circulab. So we're talking there about the training and the educational piece. Tell us a little bit about what that means in Circulab and how that fits into your broader mission with the circular economy. Yeah, so maybe it's important that 
I explain a little bit the, the position of circular when it comes to a circular economy. So for the listeners that are familiar with the concept, circular economy means a lot of different things, okay? There's lots of definition of a circular economy. There's actually more than 100 definition of the circular economy. But we can summarize it in two branches. You have resource circularity, which is closing production and consumption loops. And then you have a circular economy that operates within planetary boundaries. So the two are not exclusive of one another. The dominant version that is being scaled globally and led by Europe and by large corporations is the resource circularity angle. Okay. So you can have resource circularity in a linear economy. A circular economy has a set of social norms, because that's what it is. An economy is not based on art science. It's just it's a social science. It's a it's the the norms that you create and that are accepted by a high percentage of the population in the given territory. That's an economy. Okay. So a circular economy that operates within planetary boundaries has an objective, a goal of restoration and regeneration. And it aims at providing societies with fair, inclusive, equitable access to resources and thriving societies. We adhere to that definition. Therefore, all definition of a circular economy condition what it is we're doing. So our view is that a circular economy is, has to be based on, on system thinking. It has to be an economy that is sober in resource use. It's efficient in resource use. And importantly, it has the aim of regenerating natural and human ecosystems. To that order, that, that really frame, A, the type of mission we accept with clients, our position. We come upstream if you want so we really come into the design phase the design angle is where everything is related to the design and design is not what it looks like i'm quoting it's not me it's how it works that's why we said circular is a design agency we don't design products and services we design business system so therefore we train consultants we train companies we train public actors to design business ecosystems that works according to the principle of a circular economy that's one thing. Go back to your question in regards to trainings. We have a position where we don't, we come much later than the Fresk, if you want. We basically provide methodology and tools to act. So we're not there to substitute ourselves to the academic sector, the universities. And by the way, we work more and more with, with business schools and universities across Europe and the world. But we're not there to substitute to the the vulgarization, the, the acculturation, the knowledge, the theoretical knowledge of the circular economy, if you want. We're really there to provide a methodology and design tools to act and to design, create a circular and regenerative business model and business ecosystems. So that's really the position of Circular. And in terms of who we train, our audience are predominantly people that already are either consultant or are consulting agencies or design agencies and that wants to have a methodology tool, a set of tools to what they all to the, the set of tools and method they already use so that they can redesign value chain, uh, stakeholder ecosystem, business models to go towards circular and regenerative models. So that's really the position we have on the upskilling and training of actors. That is the reason why we invited you here to talk to us there. You knew, I think you articulated the start of what you said there really, really clearly about 
differentiating the sort of pure resource circularity, as you said, resource circularity can happen in within a linear system. But then this broader, much more systemic, much deeper change. That's pretty powerful. Thanks for articulating that so well. Can I ask, before we move on, just to really hone in on this point, resource circularity can exist in a linear economy. So why is it not enough to just focus time and energy on that resource circularity? Because of the laws of physics. Laws of physics are what they are. As much as I'd like to, I can't change them. <laughs> We've actually had a, a talk to some executive MBA in large business school last week. And when I said that, it was a bit of a blank in the room. And those people were very clever and, and much more qualified than me. But it's always struck me as our tendency to live in a fairy tale. And that's what we have to be very, very careful when we propose the circular economy as a superior model. Okay. I'm quoting Donella Meadows. Hey, if you want to change a system, you have to propose a system that is better for most of the stakeholders. But we have to be very careful with the circular economy because A, there's no empirical fact that we can decouple sustainably resource extractions and impact the production processes and therefore the growth of economic activities, right? That's just, you know, let's put it out there. There's no facts for sustainable development. I'm ready to hit my heart if someone can produce a peer-reviewed academic paper that proves that you can have long-term stable decoupling, i.e. net decoupling. It's not there. So once you know that, you have to be very careful not to propose a circular economy that put aside the laws of physics. It's what the linear economy did. Basically, the Chicago School of Economics, that is, you can, you can say if you, if you summarize it, that that's the basics of all economic models, even the Chinese economic strategy is more or less based on that version of liberalism, if you want. The laws of physics don't exist. There's no impact. There's no limits. There's no resources. And, and the postulate is that technology will always find a way to extract and use more efficiently resources. As we know for a fact, it's not the case. The world is finite and it's complex. It's interconnected. There are rebound effects everywhere. There's tipping points everywhere, so it's much more complicated than that. So that's why resource circularity, and there's, there's also an explanation why resource circularity has become so popular with large corporations, because there's also the promise, if you take the view of the performance economy, to say that we don't transfer ownership of goods and services, we as the producer of goods and services remains the owner, that there's an economic and financial incentive that is powerful to say, well, actually, we can be more profitable because we reduce the cost of production as we basically recoup the products already in circulation. If we design them to have longer life cycle and to have to be easily repaired, it's basically more profitable for us. So I'm not saying it's a bad thing, it's a good thing. The big question is always, what's the purpose? What's the goal of it? If you do resource circularity with the core goal of making more money, I mean, you have to be profitable to an extent, then you're not solving the problem at all. Case in point, you look at the circularity gap report done by the good people at Circular Economy, and I think that year's version is really, really powerful. Why? Because they go hard in it, and I was actually quite surprised to have Deloitte put their name to it. And basically what Circularity Gap Report is saying with the Deloitte branding is that you have to degrow. Mm. Some economies i.e. Europe and the U.S., have to degrow. Other economies have to grow up to a point. 
So we are there in this discussion on the circular economy. You are there at that, that threshold. The past 18 months have been very interesting in the academic literature. There's a substantial rebalancing of the research towards the discourse of sufficiency circular economy, i.e. how much is enough, right? Yeah. So we are getting into this. There's very strong incentives for corporation to use the, circ- the, the material circularity as a magic wand, if you want, to continue produce and sell more because that's the economic logic is still the dominant logic. Mm. I think that's an interesting point that you make about admitting <laughs> that we have to we have to degrow. You know, you said that there's no empirical evidence to show that we can sustainably move to a system of circularity that will continue economic growth. Maybe the outcome doesn't need to be economic growth. So I think yeah. that that's part of that systems thinking, as you say, to maybe even rethink the outcome. Let's focus on the other side of the coin for a second. Regenerative businesses. Could you, in the same way that you've set out for us what the circular economy looks like, could you explain to us what regenerative business means? A regenerative business, and the most interesting and exciting research field currently is regenerative economics. So you can, I, I, I tend to say now that RE, so regenerative economics, is the new CE, so circular economy. But the two are, depending on the definition you take for circular economy, the two are, you, know, you can interchange them if you want. I.e., for us, we take the view, and we're not the only one, that a circular economy has to be regenerative by intent. So it's always the purpose of it. Well, what's the purpose of the economy? If you look at the donut economics model, that's pretty much a macroeconomic assessment tool for regenerative economics. I.e. the donut, for those of you that don't know, it's based on the notion of the planetary boundaries. So you have an environmental ceiling, which you should definitely not overshoot with your different boundaries. And then you have a social and cultural flow. And that flow is access to education, gender equality, etc., etc. So regenerative economics is finding that sweet spot, that window of vitality, as Sally Garner said, where you should have a production and consumption model, i.e. an economy. But that production and consumption model should really be adjusted to what is necessary for people to live in a thriving society that operates within the planetary boundaries. So regenerative businesses are and will be businesses that basically caliber and adjust their activities depending on what is needed in different sectors, transport, agriculture, education, to really remain in that sweet spot. That's how you would you can define a regenerative economics. I should add that we are at 417 parts per million right now. We should be at 350. So going forward, my children and my children's children, all their business activities will be regenerative because they will have to find ways to pump out substantial amount of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and repair basically what we've been doing for the past 80 years. I actually make the case that all business will have to be regenerative going forward. And we're just in this transition period. So it's a logical step from what we've been saying, but when you say all business will have to be regenerative going forward, it's a huge leap to get there. Yeah, it's a huge leap. But okay, 
one and one equals two. Huh? So the beautiful technological word has been promised to her, to us, as we're all going to be in the metaverse and, and surveillance capitalism will be the way forward. This will not happen when surveillance capitalism is happening. But there is a resource issue. There's a very good report from Capgemini Invest. It's a French report. And they basically look at the French low carbon strategy. So according to the EU Green Deal and the Fit for 55 package, which is basically the goal of all European Union countries contributing to the decrease of 55% of GHG emissions, all national government has to provide a roadmap, which is the low carbon economic development roadmap. The French government did. Very interesting roadmap, obviously. It's just a roadmap. But Capgemini decided to say, okay, let's have a look at it. Is it actually doable in the key sectors of transport, agro, et cetera, et cetera? And they look at it from a resource standpoint. So if you want to decarbonize, for example, the energy sector, you have different technological pathways, but you need resources. If you want to do windmills, you need access to X amount of rare earth materials. If you want to do solar, you need X amount to this and that materials. They look at the location of the stocks. They look at the known volume of stocks and what would be needed to actually deploy this low-carbon economy. And what they found is that you actually can do it. You cannot do it if you have an economy that grows. So it's a powerful statement from Capgemini to make. For those of you that read French, I highly encourage you to read this report because they actually came up with a, a new metric, which is the critical availability of resources. And depending on that metric, you can or cannot act a low-carbon transformation in one specific sector. So just to illustrate the point, this brand new technological word will not happen. So we're going to have to question what's really important and what's the purpose of an economy. It's a hard questioning. Again, I go back to the point, it's much, much easier to believe that deploying closed-loop production will solve the problem. It will not. I mean, the circularity gap report, I go back to it, this year is 7.2%. That's the level of circularity in the world. Two years ago, it was 8.6. And why? Because we have a growing economy. So if you have an economy, global economy, that grows at 3% compound growth rate per year, you have an economy that double every generation. You cannot sustain that with the tangible resources available on this planet. It's just a fact. Sand, which is used for concrete, has, what, 20 years of stock? So what do you do when you have no sand? You don't, you don't build. It's simple as that. So that's where we are. Those are data that quantify. Now, the science of material flow analysis is now really granular. So it's very interesting and Metabolic are really good at doing that. And the circular economy and the circularity gap report, if you look at the equation, you can argue that, you know, it's not exhaustive enough. Okay, fair enough, but it's getting really granular. So you know the stocks that are flowing in the, the input and output in a given area. And the stocks are finite. So that technological world is not, will not happen. It's simply because there's no, not enough resources for it to happen. Which ties back to what you were saying about the laws of physics. That's just the reality of it. Yeah. You mentioned a number of things there, and for those listening, we will link to those. Those interested in policy can go and check out some of the European stuff and that French report, which sounds really interesting. But also, everybody go and check out the very recent Circularity Gap report if you haven't already. We'll make sure to link to that. Let's, though, come back to 
the work that you're doing in Circulab and try and make the, that conversation we just had, trying to make that, I liked what you said about the mission in Circulab, about that being action, given that definition of the circular economy and that reality that you've just set out. So you talked then about the type of training and providing that training for who you provide it to. Can you talk a little bit more about what that is? And I guess the change that you're seeing or the change that you're hoping to see with that service that you're offering. And then in addition, we can talk a little bit about the design and so on and the consultancy as well. So in terms of training, we have, I'd say, two types of training. The training that we provide as ready-made, if I may say, which are available on, on the brand Circular Academy. And here we train, we have four trainings right now. We have one on circular business models, one on circular design, and then we have another one on biomimicry. We have another one on circular packaging. So different blocks, but for us, what we're known for mostly is our tools. Because in order for us to be coherent, we provide our tools as free access and the Creative Commons license. So everybody can download them and use them if they respect the conditions of the license. And for us, again, as I mentioned in the beginning, training is, is about providing A, tools that are available, ready to use, and the knowledge of how to deploy the tools. All the tools that we have are qualitative tools. There's a heavy bias towards measuring quantitative tools. There's a lot of life cycle assessment being done. That's really good. There's lots of eco-design being, being done. That is really good. But if you are training eco-designing cup of coffee, if you don't think the system around it, eco-designing means nothing. It, it has no purpose. And you would be surprised or dominant is that logic of still being focused on the product or the service and not looking at the wider ecosystem, business ecosystem around it. So for us, the mission is really to disseminate that notion of system thinking applied to innovation and transformations of business models and value chain. So that's what we try to do in our trainings. On the Circular Academy trainings, trainings are done. You have some programs in asynchronous, so you can do on your own. You also have programs that are blended. So you have asynchronous content, and then you have some live Q&A sessions with a trainer. And most of our trainings, well, actually all our trainings, how we validate the theory is through applicative exercise on our tool. So we can, for example, in our, in our flagship course, which is called Master Circular Design, it's a 40-hour course on eight weeks. We put the participant in small court. Therefore, we try to replicate a project team, if you want. And then we give them a challenge at the beginning. So currently, the court that is doing this course, their challenge is what are the impacts, environmental, social, economic of genes in the UK. And they take that, and the idea is that they, A, investigate and map the system of this problematic. What is the system? Who are the actors? What are the negative and positive feedback loop in the system? What are the integrators, the big, the dominant actor in the systems? And they go down to the value chain, then the partner, the stakeholder ecosystem, and finally to the business model. The idea for us and what we try to put in all our trainings, either the, the trainings that are ready-made or the one that we tailor for specific economic actors, public or private, is to really infuse that notion of complexity. You have to accept the complexity if you want to have the right answer to it. Move away from the silo and look at the big picture. Look at the, through a systems perspective, look at all the actors and how they can interact with one another. So that's really the flavor we try to input into all of our trainings. And of course, you have to adapt that to the audience. We work, for example, with large telco operators. We work with large 
luxury brands, upscale agro business. And it's always interesting when you start those trainings and you introduce system thinking and the complexity of thinking in system, people get lost, but very quickly they understand that to have the right answer, they have to look at the bigger picture and not only their product, not only their industry and not only their supplier. So that's really what we try to do. And, and on that notion of value chain, for example, is really interesting because when you were looking at value chain analysis, that was you know a bit of a niche discussion until a few years back. Very interest, interestingly, the new corporate sustainability reporting directive that is done at the EU that will now force companies to look not only at their scope one, so their own operation emission, scope two, but also scope three. So scope three, if you're Zara, it means your vendor factories in the middle of China. What's the governance? What's the GHG emissions? And that approach is a value chain approach. Value chain is inspired by system thinking. It's based on, on thinking the system around not only the, the operation of the organization. So that's the flavor we really try to input into our training. Think in system, accept complexity, and then only can you provide the right answers. That's quite thorough. It sounds like there's sort of all levels. Right. We've been doing this for 10 years. So, so. Yeah, yeah, great. <laughs> Do you have an idea of what the motivations are for the people who come through trainings like yours? I want to get a picture of who these participants are. What levels of the company do they normally sit at and how are they implementing what yeah. they're finding so you have different we can put it to two categories you have the audience that comes to get trained by circular and register to our ready-made courses so here the profile are what i would call activists basically you have i'd say 70 percent are consultant profile either already have an activity as an independent and wants to add a methodology to what they use already. So those are people that already operate in, in the wide field of uh, business strategy, business transformations, sustainability, uh, advisory services, design. That's the type of profile. And those people are fairly capped or senior. When I look at, I think of the profile, most of them used to be middle or, or executive management in various industries. That's the type of profile, what I would call consultants that already are evolving in, in the field of advising companies on how to transform and to adapt to the challenges of the 21st century, if you want to put it. The rest of the, the audience are business unit managers, you know, innovation managers head of product development that knows they have to embed the notion of circularity into what they do. And the rest are university teachers, business schools that want to have the methodology to their content. So that, that's for the ready-made content. And if I look at the training that we do and we adapt to either the tender that come from the EU or from other actors, it really depends. But there's two angles. One demand for those in-company, shall I say, uh, training is upskilling on the notion of a circular economy and importantly how it works how could they apply that to what they do that's that's one thing the other layer which which maybe is the more advanced layer is really for projects maybe yeah product development team that that's more the profile that really want to have a methodology similar to what they would use if they would get trained on doing agile development for tech here, they want a methodology and tools to do circular design or circular product development, if they want. Because in those companies, there is a notion 
of what is a circular economy, but there is a big gap is to, okay, how do we implement it? How do we actually take a product that we have and how do we rethink it, transform it? Okay. That's where we see the, the demand. There, there's a blurring as well with eco-design, but there's a demand to go further because there's also a realization in those product development units that eco-design in itself has its limitation. So they have to go further. So that's the different type of profile we have when it comes to the training demand. I picture myself in this position, you know, coming into a training, one of the many kinds of training that Circulab offers and realizing the scale of what I'm undertaking here, the scale of what has to be done, maybe not everything has to be done by me, but just the scale of where we need to go and how much there is to do. How maybe do you personally deal with that sense of this is a really big job and we have loads that needs to change? I guess my answer is fairly simple. We're not in a nice situation. Uh, the trajectory we're on is close to four degrees warning. So four degrees is a Mad Max, let's put it simply. But every tenth of a degree that you avoid is a good thing. So I said like that, there's we know we're not going to reach 1.5. We know we're not we're going to overshoot two degrees, very, very likely. So you, if you read the IPCC report, you have a fairly good idea of what's going to happen. And that doesn't look really nice. If you stick to that, then you're going to have to go and see a psychologist on a daily basis almost. So you have to be aware of it. I don't despair and try to act. And that's what we do here. We, we try to provide tools and skills and to upskills and to infuse knowledge so that people then can act. And that's why we're making the tool available for free because we take the view that if we have, the more people are aware of the challenges, A, and B, the more people have tools to actually act at their level, being you know top-ranking management or being startupers or entrepreneurs, the better and the more it will go into reducing potentially the impact that we have. And I go back to the restoration and the regeneration. All the activities would have to transform towards that. So I take comfort in thinking that at all small scale, we are contributing to that. And yeah, try not to despair because what's the point? I mean, Thank you. We're kind of running out of time. So actually, that's not a bad <laughs> note to finish on, I think. But we've, and I know we've barely scratched the surface of all the work that Circulab does. Just two final questions to finish up. One is, what is your next? What do you see as the next sort of step for you in Circulab? Is there a big, exciting vision given the action focused mission that you described? And then, as part of that, for people who want to find out more or get in touch with you or with Circulab, where do they go? So for us, the next step is really creating partnership that makes sense with the education sector and we're working more and more towards that and also with large actors we start to watch with the the unesco because you can have a, a very large global impact when you have the right relationship with those actors so that's the next step for us developing those relationships that can you know multiply the impact globally that's one and for and also i should add keep developing tools that can equip the, the change makers. We have a tool that is called the Regenerative Index. If you Google it, it pops up first. So that's the tool we are developing. It's a tool, for example, that gives a, a business a score on all regenerative is their business model right now. 
So we'll be developing more and more of those tools and then trying to find the right partners to disseminate. So that's the next step for us. For the audience that are interested in checking out Circulab, you can, for, the, for all that is trainings, access to our tools, you can go to circulab.academy. And here you have extensive explanation of each trainings and you have access to the tools, resources, publications. And for those of you that are interested in the design and consulting services, you can go to circulab.com, which is the corporate website and it's more dedicated to all the, the design and consulting activities. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And for those listening, that's circulab, C-I-R-C-U-L-A-B.academy or .com. Thank you so much. Really appreciate that. I think that you shared so much there that is really important and really the fundamentals of what we're looking to explore this season. I kind of see the work that you're doing as that kind of multiplier effect that you and Circulab with that, the trainings and all of that. And it's such an important, I think, such an important part. And just a final thought to leave the listeners with is coming from a software engineering or technology focused background, the points that Fabrice was making there about the sort of tech optimist kind of technology will solve everything. I think it's so important that we as a sector think about apply that systems level and aware of the complexity and the environment in which our technology operates is so important if we're going to actually be part of this positive transition that Fabrice was describing. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you, Fabrice. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Happy Porch Radio. You can find past episodes, transcripts, and show notes at happyporchradio.com. You can also get in touch with us there and let us know what you think or if you have any ideas or comments. Please rate the podcast, share and subscribe so that more people can find the show. Thanks for listening. My name's Barry O'Kane. I founded Happy Porch, who fund and support this podcast. At Happy Porch, we do technology and software development for purpose-led businesses. And we're particularly excited about the role of digital as an enabler for the circular economy. If you're working on solutions to the big problems we face today, problems like climate change, biodiversity loss and global inequality, then let's connect. Visit happyporch.com and get in touch. And I'm Emily Swaddle, podcaster, coach, facilitator and storyteller. You can find me on my other podcast, The Carbon Removal Show. And you can find out more about that project and everything else I do at emilyswaddle.com, where you can also subscribe to my newsletter, All About Rest. If you're interested in anything I do, feel free to connect. You can email me on hello at emilyswaddle.com. Thank you.